0: Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. I'm going to hop straight to, it, to a very famous scripture as I start my text, Matthew chapter 8, verse 7 to 13. It's the story of the centurion's faith. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, the centurion is a commander of the Roman occupation army. He has the authority of Caesar. Remember, Caesar is not an elected prime minister. Caesar is not an elected president. Caesar is not even a dictator. Caesar is God, little g. And this Roman centurion has the power of life and death with his words. But he comes to Jesus, calling him Lord, asking for help, not for his wife, not for his kids, not even for his soldiers, but for a servant. And Jesus says to him, shall I come and heal him? And Centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve that you would come into my roof, but just say the word. Just say it. Because I understand, I, 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 get, I get commands and I do them and I tell people to do commands and they do that. Jesus, I get it. You just say the word. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. I think astonished when other version says, and says to those around him, look, I haven't found this faith anywhere else. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed. Just you said it would. And the scripture says, and the servant was healed at that very moment. Almost every other time in the New Testament, it says, in that same hour. This rendition has at that same moment. The centurion understood something that few of us do. The creative power of the words we speak just say the word. Some time ago, I was in a busy two-way road and the car in front of me just stopped and I nearly ran into it and it wouldn't go and I couldn't get out and this woman hopped out of the car and she came to me frantic and she asked me the question that quite frankly is the worst question you can ask me. She said, do you know anything about cars? (laughs) Let me tell you, I grew up with no cars. My mum and dad never owned a car never had a license and never knew how to drive a car and never drove a car in their lives. In fact, on his deathbed, my father confessed he had driven a car in 1949 for five minutes and didn't like it. So what I know about cars, you could put in the back of a postage stamp, right? For those under 25, a postage stamp is a little square <laughs> adhesive thing. You stick got an envelope, okay? An envelope is like a paper rectangular thing. But a letter goes in. A letter, that's all too hard. (laughs) Suffice to say, I know nothing about cars. I know where the fuel goes in. I know where the water goes in. And I know where the oil goes in. Actually, I know where the brake fluid is because a mate of mine used to actually sniff brake fluid. He used to take the cap off and sniff brake fluid. Yeah, I said to him once, I said, you're addicted. He said, no, mate, I can stop any time. All that is true apart from the last bit. So I got to the car, and when I got to the car, I realized her dilemma, and that is in the back of her car were three quite severely handicapped folk. It was the middle of summer. There was no air con because the car wasn't working. We couldn't let them out of the car because they'd get squashed. And she had to take them somewhere, and she was in a frightful panic now, I'm trying to buy some time here because I'm looking for tattoo guy to come. Tattoo guy, he's the guy that comes, ups the, ups the bonnet and goes, oh, yeah, it's a, you know, carburetor alternator thingo and I'll just dart love to the car. I'll get your a spanner, you'll be off in a jiff. I was waiting for that guy, that sort of Alice Latcher guy to come along, the handyman. He didn't come. I was it. So I confessed to her as she was standing there. I said... I don't know anything about cars. And her face just dropped. And then I said, but I can pray. And I saw just the tiniest of little glimmers in her eyes. And I said, look, you get in the car. This is a busy road. There's cars everywhere. I said, you get in the car. And when I say the word, I said those words, or so I remember, when I say the word, you start. And then I decided on this very eloquent prayer as I laid my hands on the bonnet. It was very hot, so I couldn't. The eloquent prayer was, "Lord, please start this car." I said, "Okay, start the car now." Could, up till then, it had been going, roo, 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 you know, alternator, battery thingo, carburetor thingo, whatever. But it, when I said start it, it roared into life. It roared into life. Thank yes, you can you can give the Lord a hand. It wasn't me. I don't know who was more surprised. (laughs) A week or two later, I was walking down the street and I saw that woman. She was a lot older than me at the time. I saw that woman come towards me, and as she was about for me to don her away, she saw me and her face turned like pale. And she started gibbering about prayer and going to church and faith, and she took off. And then I realized she thought I'd been an angel. She did. She thought I'd been an angel. Uh, Don't get mistaken for angels very much, I must admit. (laughs) Almost all miracles ever recorded in Scripture are in response to a simple, short, spoken word of faith. The Holy Spirit moves through us as we speak. In Proverbs 18, the writer says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words have the power to create great blessing or great heartache. We can do good and we should help others and of course we should. But power and authority and changing life comes when we speak. Jesus spoke to the evil spirits to get them out. He asked a man to stretch out his withered hand. He asked a dead girl to get up. He told Bartimaeus to receive his sight. And he spoke to a dead Lazarus and said, come forth. All these commands are no more than one sentence, but a life changing for everyone. When I open up my mouth, miracles, miracles start breaking out. Now, this is Mission Sunday. I've got a three point sermon for you. The first point is this, we are created for mission. We are created for mission. I actually did what you all do. I went to Google and I went definition of mission. And it came up with this. From Google, the first thing that came up, the vocation or calling of a religious organization, especially a Christian one, to go out into the world and spread its faith. To go out into the world, it sounds very familiar to the Great Commission, what Jesus told us to do the last time he spoke before he ascended. His last instruction to us was to go into all the world. See, the Holy Spirit moves outside this church building. In fact, the times I have seen the Holy Spirit move is generally outside a church service. How many miracles did Jesus and the disciples do in churches and temples? None. Going from, Go into. absolutely. See, our primary mission is not to get people in here. It's to get Jesus out there. Ships look great in the harbour. Ships are safe in the harbour. But ships are not meant for the harbour. And either are we. There's a principle, a mission, that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And that is when, that God moves when we move. We are not waiting for God to move. He's waiting for us. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us and to guide us, to move through us and with us. Holy Spirit's prompts us to speak. And when we do, miracles break out. When we open up our mouth, miracles break out. Can I start with some of the greatest missionary words that ever be spoken? Can I pray with you? Some time ago, I went to see a client of mine. His name is Vic. I won't say his surname because he could be listening, knowing Vic. And Vic had had a really rough trial. He had cancer. His wife had left him. His business was going bad. I think the dog had died. Basically, it was a country and western song just waiting to be written. <laughs> he was, and he, he, he's there and he's morose. And, and I said to him as he talked, I said these words, Vic, can I pray for you? I, I think I wanted to stop it and go home. But I said, Vic, can I pray with you? And he looked up and he went, because we'd never spoken about, I'd never spoken about faith. He never didn't know what I believed. And he said, oh, okay. And so once again, I thought of an eloquent prayer. I closed my eyes and said out loud, Lord, please show Vic how much you love him. And as I did, I went to put my hand on his shoulder, not, not a laying on of hands, just, just to say, see you, mate, I'll be on my way. And as I did, as I did, this, um, I've tried to think about what, what I would call it. It was a bolt of lightning. Some much it threw him back on his seat, like it whacked him back in his seat, and he stood there shaking. I knew it was God because it shut him up. He couldn't say a word. He was, he was mute, and he sat there vibrating. And I'm going, what have I done? I've killed the guy. <laughs> I left him, and the next morning I rang him up, and I've just... I said, Vic, it's Greg here. Tell me, did you feel something when I prayed for you last night? And he said two words. I'm going to replace one of them. He said, heck yeah. <laughs> Vic got remarried, went to Sydney. Then he went to country, country, New South Wales. And every time he goes somewhere, he gives me a call or a text. He wants me to know what church he should go to, who to connect with. All I did is say, can I pray with you, Vic? All I said was, Lord, show Vic your I Never had that in the church. But I pray for people in my office. I had, a, I had a truck driver once. You know the type with the navy blue singlet with the hair coming out of the armpits and the chest and the nose and the ears? You know, you know the type I mean? Right? He came in my office like that. And five minutes later, he's just, he's just weeping. Just when I say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? It's better to pray with someone than for someone. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you, mate. And, and that's, that's valuable. But I've learned to pray with someone it's powerful. And there's five things I thought about when you pray for someone. Firstly, is people rarely say no. I mean, I don't get around every person on the street. I mean, these are, these are things where I feel the Holy Spirit leading me. I feel God speaking to me. And my, my, my thing is to be able to respond to that. People rarely say no. Two, it's not threatening. To pray with someone is not a threatening thing. Thirdly, it shows you care. You're another person. It shows you care. Fourthly, it displays what you believe. You don't need to preach. don't need to write out a sermon. It just displays what you believe. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, in my experience, it allows God to move. Just that simple interaction. When I open up my mouth... Miracles start breaking out. Number two, we are committed to mission. There's a story about a barnyard. They all thought they'd have a bit of a barbie. And the, the dog and the horse, were, uh, they were charged with going around the, the, the farmyard to organize the barbie. So they came to the chickens and said, look, Aussie, well, it's an Aussie barnyard. They said, look, we're having a bit of a barbie tonight. Why is it always a bit of a barbie? I have no idea. But we're having a bit of a barbie, you know, quiet drink. It's always half done in it, and they. Uh, he said, "Look, we're having a bit of a barbie." He said, "Could you spare us some uh, eggs?" Chickens go, "Oh, I think we can probably do some eggs." So the horse and the and the and the dog go over to the cows and said, "Having a bit of a barbie tonight uh, after some milk." I said, "Yeah, I think we could probably spare a bit of milk." So the horse and the dog go over to the pig. Pig says, "Yeah, how can I help?" He said, well, we're thinking a bit of bacon, maybe a bit of ham, a bit of pork. Pig says, that's easy for you to say. And that's a bit like commitment. You know, the greatest joys come from the deepest commitments. These people that like, oh, go, I don't want any commitments. I want to live my life. Not, You know what? That's a misery. Our greatest joys come from our greatest and deepest commitments. Jesus said this in Luke 9. If you want to block your ears because it's a toughie, he said to them, all, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Can I read that again? For me? I'm sure you've got it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny myself, take up my cross every day, and follow me. It's a bit like when I first became a Christian. It was almost like there's this bell, and when I wanted something, I'd go to the bell and I'd ring it, and God would turn up and he'd, he'd answer my prayer. And so I went to the bell again and I'd give it a ring and God, I need this and I want this direction and God would answer it. And it was like one day I went to the bell and God was there and he said, do you like the bell? I said, love the bell, love ringing the bell. You always turn up, ding, 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 ding. And God said, oh, it's a lovely bell. He said, well, just let you know, that's my bell. And if you don't mind, from now on, um, I'd like to ring it sometimes and it'd be nice if you could come. Wow. There is no Christianity without outreach, without mission. There is no true life without reaching out. The Great Commission is exactly that. The Great Commission, Jesus' last words to us. We can't pick and choose the Jesus we serve. And I'm aware now that some of you think this is, this is like stressful. The commitment and the reaching out and the speaking out. But My sense is this is an antidote to stress. Stress often comes from internalizing our world, believing that it's all up to you, all up to me. Stress and anxiety result from making our world smaller, not bigger, from retreating in, not reaching out. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That's me at times. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my commitment I've given you upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle gentle. And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden, yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, as Christians, in fact, as people, we are truly blessed, blessed as well, when we know, when we sense that God is moving through us. There is no greater joy than to sense that something that we can do, God can bless and work through us. That's the antidote to anxiety, people. Speaking of commitment, there were 12 men, 12 apostles, who were committed to the great commission that Jesus gave them, took on the might of the Roman Empire. Christianity was a little tiny sect and a far-flung outpost of the Roman Empire in AD 30. But they moved around, they traveled through the known world, speaking their testimony, sharing their word, under the rule of Caesar and Nero. Before Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire in about AD 300. Today we call our boys Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Philip and James. We call our dogs Caesar and Nero. Christianity has two billion adherents. The Roman Empire is a long gone, consigned to dusty history books. Commitment, people, is worth it. And lastly, I think we've got time. We are moved by mission. Remember a time when you had the momentum in your life? You were using the gifts that God had given you, felt His presence and His blessing on your life, maybe making a difference beyond ourselves, greater than ourselves. For some of us, that momentum that God gave our life, maybe a slow down a little bit. I was thinking, you know, a train at 60 kilometres an hour can smash through a concrete wall. A train at one kilometre an hour will, will stop in a little tiny pebble. A stationary train, no matter how many strong, how powerful it is, a stationary train goes nowhere. It just sits there and rusts. Because even if you are on the right track, you won't get anywhere if you just sit there. Christianity has never been a personal, reflective religion. That's, we're not Buddhists. We're not called to sit around and meditate all day. We're called to speak. We're called to move. We're called to action and that's the great blessing of our life when we take action. We are not at our best when we just simply sit and meditate. In fact, God has always called men and women to move. The first two letters of God are go. The first three letters of Satan are sat. One of the great, Byron speaks about sometimes about this, about what we learned 30 years ago, we don't necessarily believe now. One of the things I was taught is that you had to tarry and you had to be filled with the Spirit and you had to, you get filled before you can go out and speak. Rather, I think we need to be emptied to be filled up. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is like a river of living water flowing through us, not a reservoir of water sitting in us. God moves as we move, as we speak. The answer to spiritual growth is not to get more spiritual. The answer is to exercise the spirit you have. You know, I'm a pretty muscly guy. I work out at least once every decade or two, and I've got these muscles. But, you know, if I want to get bigger muscles, I don't ask for new muscles. I've just simply got to use the ones that I've got given that don't get used enough. There's no scripture recorded on God's blessing or intention or a good thought. No scripture recorded on God's blessing and intention, but rather just words and action. He said that he will lead us and he will guide us to shine a light on the path we're taking, to make a way for us. All that is required to do that is for us to move to take a chance, to speak a word, and to allow Holy Spirit to use that and to see what God can do. I will finish with this. When I was 15 years old, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know anything. And one day I went to uh, the milk bar where Dean Saunders had it. He had one arm, Dean Saunders, and he ran the milk bar. And I went and bought a can of Coke and a Chiquito bar. And I was sitting outside my bike having a smoke. Up came this little Italian kid. I think his name is Nate. I didn't know him very well. I think I played cricket against him. He wasn't in my school. And we sat there and talked. And Nate told me, he just told me this, that one of the nuns at school had told him about Jesus and that he invited Jesus in his heart. He just told me, mate, and he was a really dorky kid. He said, mate, it's amazing. It's the best thing I've ever done. And I took a puff of my cigarette. (sighs) I said, mate, good for you, brother. Good for you. And off he went. I don't remember his name. I think it was name. He probably doesn't remember mine, but I'll tell you what, if he's still alive, he doesn't remember the 43 years ago when he told me that. That sowed a seed in my life that God took and watered, and here I am 45 years later. He didn't preach at me. He didn't give me a sermon. He simply do that. You know, people don't want our opinions, folks. People particularly don't want our conspiracy theories. You know what people need? They need our testimony. That's what people need. They don't need a sermon. They don't need to be preached at. Just when the Holy Spirit gives us an opportunity just to speak. I know when God wants to speak because it's not a big thing. It's a little thing. But God takes little things. God takes seeds, waters them. Here's a dangerous prayer that will change your life. I dare you. I dare me. Lord, put someone in my life today that I can speak to. We'll pray with Bless you this morning. May God bless you, keep you, cause His face to shine upon you. Amen.